Uh, I want to welcome everyone who's joining us online. We are going back to the study of John, uh, and it's just good to be in the Lord's Word together. It's good to study the gospel together. Every week, uh, we do an offering here at Women's Bible Study. We just pass around a little envelope. There is no obligation to give it all. Uh, all the money goes towards our tech, our books, our child care, but again, it's an optional donation. If you want to give, you can. Uh, another thing cool coming up, we have baptisms coming up. Woohoo! So if you have decided to follow Jesus, maybe yesterday or maybe years ago and you've never been baptized, the Lord says the first thing you're to do is to get baptized, to declare publicly, I believe in Jesus. And so if you've never been baptized and have an interest in that, we have a class coming up this Sunday at one o'clock in room 100, which you probably don't know where that is. It's in the South Sanctuary. Somebody will be over there to direct you. Um, but this is our class to learn what, bio, what baptism is and then we'll do the actual baptisms on February 11th and 12th. So if you or a loved one have never been baptized, one I extend that offer to you. Um, and last but not least, we have our women's conference coming up. Look at how pretty that design is. Don't you just, just want to go now? Um, the conference theme, <laughs> little birdies, the conference theme is unleash. And we're going to talk about what it means to unleash the, holy, the power of the Holy Spirit, what that does for our lives and how it changes everything. So you don't want to miss it. It's going to be March 24th and 25th. It's a Friday night and a Saturday morning. Uh, we're going to have an awesome time worshiping together, gathering together. Uh, last year, I think we had close to 600 people. We packed out the campus, and so we invite you to come. We invite you to bring a friend. This is a time we believe that Jesus wants to speak to us and meet with us. So put it on your calendars. 24th and 25th registration will open next week. So get your gal pal or your mom or your cousin, whoever you want, bring your people and come together because it's a fun opportunity to grow in Christ Juntos, which is Spanish for together. Um, and last but not least, we have a prayer walk happening. We have a bunch of different prayer groups available for you. And one of them is a walking prayer group that's going to meet at 12 o'clock after every Wednesday of Bible study. So for the next seven weeks, if you're somebody that's like, I want to pray, I want to walk the neighborhood, Tanya is going to be leading that group. And I think they're meeting on the stairs of the church. So 12 o'clock, if that's something you're interested in, or maybe you've never done a prayer walk and you're like, what's that about? We walk and pray over the neighborhood and share prayer requests uh, with the team that walks. So if that's you, if you're interested, you brought your walking shoes at uh, 12 o'clock. And if you want to join next week, it'll be meeting over there at 12 o'clock too. So, all right, friends, you ready? Yep. Woohoo. Um, well, I've been excited for this. I miss being in Bible study with you because there's something powerful about being in the Word with your girlfriends. And we, we do Bible study here because we believe that the Word of God is the foundational truth that we build our lives on. It's not this optional philosophy, these nice thoughts like, oh, that quote, I could knit on a pillow. Like, I should, I should take that. No, no, we believe all of God's word is alive and active, and it's the foundation that we build our lives around. So when we come to women's Bible study, it's to really dig into God's word together and say, how do I apply this to my life? What does this say about me? Instead of what do I think about the word, is what does the word tell me about who I am and the truth of the world that I'm living in? And so this is an awesome opportunity for us to build a base of truth with our girlfriends. And so I'm proud proud of you that you're here. I'm proud that you made it, and I'm proud that you're diving into God's Word together. We are continuing in the book of John. John, the Gospel of John, was written by a beloved disciple of Jesus who really had walked with Jesus and knew Jesus and was transformed by Jesus. So we study the Gospel, we study the Word of God because it transforms our lives too. And John does such a good job of giving us illustrations of 
who Jesus was and the power that he possessed that is the same for us today because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So we enter this book expectant of God, what are you gonna do in us? We also, this session, we're doing the sa- kind of the same thing as last time. Every week we'll have a different Bible study method for you to dive deeper into the word. They're pretty easy methods, they'll be explained in your book, but you'll, after this talk, you'll go home, probably most of you right away because you're such diligent students, you'll go home and you'll open up to week 10, and so this first week, we're gonna do Lectio Divino, which is when you read the scripture multiple times to get a different understanding each time. So you'll, you'll do this study and then you'll come back next week and someone will teach on John 10. So you're gonna interact with the word before you hear what someone else thinks about the word. Just today, you didn't have, we didn't wanna make you do homework before you came, so we'll dive straight into the teaching today. Um, and we are starting in John 9. We've already done John 1 through 8, but if you've been with us before, if you haven't, you can jump into the Bible anywhere because it's always relative, it's always relational, it's always real. So we're diving into John 9. So if you wanna follow along in your book, you can. Otherwise, it will be up on here. And if you're like an auditory learner, you just close your eyes and listen to the sound of my voice guide you through. But we are gonna read all of John 9 because I know you didn't do your pre-reading because we didn't tell you about it. So let's read this together and dive into what the Lord says. So John 9, talking about Jesus. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. And others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man they called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I wash and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, ask him, he's of age. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. 
They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Wow, powerful world to the Lord, eh? I just sounded Canadian, eh? Um, I'm from Wisconsin. But anyways, <laughs> this story, I love this story because it gives us such a picture of the compassion of God. So I want us to imagine this story. So when I was a kid, has anyone ever played Marco Polo? Okay, thank you. Last night was a little like they'd never heard of it. Marco Polo is this game where somebody in the pool, you close your eyes and they say Marco and everyone else who can see says Polo and you try to tag somebody. And so we played this all growing up. It can be a violent game because you can often get, you can get kicked in the face a lot if someone's trying to swim away from you. So sometimes I admit I would cheat underwater so I didn't get kicked, but I also got kicked a bunch of times too. But you, you really try to find your friends in the dark and tag somebody. So I grew up playing this and then in second grade, I learned about Helen Keller. We studied her life and her story. It was the first time it hit me that people are born blind and actually can't see and live in darkness. And so I remember I heard her story. I went home that day and I decided to do a little experiment of my own because it really fascinated me. How can people live and not see? And so I put on a blindfold and I think I put in like little ear earplugs and I just wanted, I wanted to experience what it felt like to live in utter silence and utter darkness. And I remember, I don't, I don't think anybody was home. I remember trying to go around the house and I was so scared. I was so scared to fall down the steps, to stub my toe, and everything seemed foreign and scary and hard. And I tried to imagine a life that way. I tried to imagine what it would actually be like if I didn't have the privilege of taking the blindfold off, if I actually could not see, if I actually could not fathom what was happening around me. And so here we enter the story. Jesus passes a man who's begging. He's probably been begging his whole life. And Jesus sees him and he knows that he's been born blind since birth. And Jesus has compassion on him. And right away, his disciples ask him, is it whose sin was this? Whose fault is this? Was it his or his parents? I think it's really easy. We can often decide when something's hard in our life, what did I do wrong? Why me, Lord? Why am I going through this? Whose fault is this? Did somebody else sin? Did I sin? Now, sometimes our sins have consequences, right? We all have learned that we reap what we sow, but Jesus' answer is so powerful here. He says, it was not that man who sinned and it was not the man's parents. This was done so that the glory of God could be displayed in his life. 
And I wonder how many of us are going through circumstances right now that feel like, why me? Oh, woe is, what did I do wrong, God? I'm forget, I just, I, what can I do? And he's saying, I'm using your circumstances to bring glory to my God, to who Jesus is. I wanna put my power on display in you. I wonder how many of you he wants to put his power on display in your trial and your suffering. So anyway, so Jesus sees this man and he tells him, he spits, he puts it on his face. Just think about this. If you were a beggar and somebody came along and spit and put it on your eyes, what would your natural reaction be? Would it be like, oh, this is great. Like you just, you just tell me what's next and I'll go, right? I mean, it really, really took faith in the blind man that he was gonna trust what Jesus said. How easy would it have him for Jesus to put it on his eyes and him have to say, I gotta go figure out how to get this off. This crazy guy to spit on my eyes. But he believed him. He took him at his word and he went and washed and he came back seen. Can you imagine that moment? Can you, can you fathom being born blind since birth, living in darkness your whole life, you have no concept of what things look like, to open your eyes and see the world around you as it's always existed, to see the sun as it comes through the clouds, to see light reflecting off water, to see your parents' faces. Can you imagine the joy? And so he goes into town and people are confused. They're like, wait, is this the guy who's begging? Is this the guy? And they can't decide if it's him. And I think about this all the time. This is a small town where this man was probably begging in the same spot every day because he knew how to get there, right? That was his walk, he was familiar with it. So he had been there every day in the same spot. And then the town sees him and they can't, I mean, it makes sense. They've never seen anyone healed of blindness, but they're like, is that him? Is that not him? I don't know. So they don't know what to do. So what they do is they take him to the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees are the cream of the crop. They're the top of the synagogue and the Jewish culture. And so they, these are the people that have power. These are people that have rule. These are people that have authority. And so it makes sense. The people, they can't figure out what happened. Is this him or not? So they're like, bring him to the wise guys. They'll know, they'll, they'll know. So they bring him into the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees, they have a lot of control and they have a lot of power and they're what we call legalistic. They, they hold to the law and they lord it over people. They think they're better than others because they follow and they're kind of in control of the town and they've, word's gotten out about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he's the king and that means that they're threatened, that their power could be trumped by an actual God and they're afraid of that. So the first thing they do is they find out this happens. I love that nobody ever notes in the story like, how you doing? What's it like to see? No, 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 no one addresses that. They're like, how did this, ha who did this on the Sabbath? So they find out that Jesus healed on the Sabbath and instantly they're like, this man's a sinner. This man is not the real deal. This man broke the law. It cannot be real. He is not Jesus. And so they instantly attack this guy. They're like, no, 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 he's not real. And this guy just received his sight. And he's like, well, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but like I can see and I couldn't see before. And so now word's getting out around town and the Pharisees are afraid. They're afraid that they are gonna lose their power and their control to a higher God, to the actual God. And so they call the man's parents and they say, what, is this him? Was he actually born blind? I think this is so telling, especially when we read it from our own vantage point, if any of you are parents. Can you imagine your child being born blind and never, your kid never getting to experience what the world looks like, what it feels like, the security of just having eyesight to study, to learn, to get a job. And your son who was born blind comes to you and now he sees. And your first reaction is to deny whoever your son says did this because you're so afraid of what the Pharisees will do to you. This is the kind of power that the Pharisees wielded over the community. And they had said, if anyone declares that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be cast out of the synagogue. 
Now, for us in modern day, it's kind of like, all right, I'm kicked out of CA. Like, I'll go down the street to Eagle Rock Baptist. It's not a big deal. Like, I, okay, maybe I'll come back in two years and I'll forget. To, no, 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 it's not the way it was. The synagogue was the center of life. It was your everything. It was your social network, your community, your people. And so the parents are so afraid of what's happened to their son, they don't want to get kicked out at any cost. So they're like, ask him, I don't know. I just think of that as a parent, that your son is now seen, and the first thing you do is you throw him under the bus and say, cast him out, not us. That's how afraid they were of the Pharisees. That's how much power the religious authority and control they had over the people. And Jesus is coming to dismantle that system and saying, I am the truth, I am the way, I'm freedom, I'm love, I'm forgiveness, I'm not the law and power and control. And so the parents go away and they call this man back a second time and they say, okay, tell us again. And now he's getting annoyed. He's like, let me go. I got stuff to see. I've been not seeing for a while. But he says, I already told you, like, do you, do you know, do you want to believe in him too? And oh, they get all mad at him. They throw insults and then they end up casting him out. Sometimes when we come to know Jesus and we follow him, there are consequences. There's a cost to following Jesus. And so he's cast out of the synagogue. He's cast out of his community. And Jesus goes and finds him. And Jesus shares who he is. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, no, I don't. Tell me who it is so I can believe. He gives him a choice. He says, I've healed you physically. Now you get to choose if you will see in the spiritual realm what is true and what's not. And so he says, I am the Son of Man. I am Jesus the Messiah. Do you believe? And he believes in him. And he worships. And it changes everything about the rest of his life. We have that same opportunity today. We have that same opportunity every day. So there's a few invitations I see in this passage that I want to invite us into today. So if you're taking notes, you can. The first one, the first invitation I see out of this story is that you and I are invited to live in the light. You and I are invited to live in the light. You see, we are all born spiritually blind. We all come into this world and we're all looking for the truth. We're all looking for the way. We come into this world and this world tells us all these different things that we need to do and to be. And so what you and I end up doing until we find Jesus is we end up trying to figure out what the world's about and why we're here and what our purpose is and what's the meaning and why am I going through this? And so we spend a lot of time, at least I did in my early years, just kind of groping in the darkness of who am I? What what am I doing? What's the point? Should I chase popularity? Should I I chase money? I think people like me if I do this. People don't like me if I do this. What, What do I cling on to? Who am I? What's my identity? Until we know Jesus, we live blind. We live in the dark. We live uncertain of who we are and where we're going. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the truth. You don't have to walk in darkness. Once you know me, once you see me, I will give you life. And I wonder today, I wonder if any of us are walking in darkness, if any of us are walking along unfamiliar paths, if we're going through trials and tribulations and struggles, and we're living kind of encaved in ourselves. We're afraid of exposing what's deep inside of us. Maybe our secrets, our addictions, our problems, our past, our traumas. We're just trying to keep it in, in the darkness so that nobody else sees it. And Jesus says, no, 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 that, that's why I came. I came to bring light into your darkness. I didn't come for you to fix your darkness. I didn't come for you to hide it from me or others. I came to bring my light into your darkness to set you free, 
Jesus invites us to live in the light because he is the light and he's healing. And he says, you don't need to walk in darkness anymore. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. I forgive your sins. So no longer do you need to hide and pretend and cover up and try to fix it yourself or try to control it like the Pharisees do. He says, come to me. I am the light of the world. There's a passage that I think explains this really well. First John 1, 5 through 10 says this. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claimed we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. What God's inviting us into is an honest reality check. Are you going to be real with me? Do you trust me enough to love you in all of your brokenness? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that they sent his only son to forgive us our sins. Jesus says, do you believe that? Or are you gonna spend the rest of your life trying to be better, trying to find your own way, trying to prove that you can do it on your own? All you need to do is you need to come to me and you need to receive my light and it will heal you. It'll make you new. It'll set you free. It'll give you hope beyond anything you've ever imagined. Jesus invites us to take off the blindfold, to look at ourselves truthfully and say, hey, I got some brokenness in me. There's some things that are messed up, either from my past, from my origin of birth. I, I desire other things instead of you, God. I confess that. I want you more than I want anything else. And Jesus says when we're honest, when we confess our sins, when we're in the light, that's where the light of God comes into us and he forgives us our sins and cleanses us and allows us to live in fellowship with you, with him. So my question for you today is, is there any areas of darkness that the enemy has gotten in and has made you afraid? If anyone knew this about me, if I told anybody, if I stopped doing this, I would, I would die. Where is there darkness that the Lord is inviting you to bring God's light into, God's healing light, God's restorative light, God's forgiving light. That's the first invitation we see in here today. Second invitation we see is that God makes beauty from ashes. Whatever struggle you're going through, whatever trial you're going through, God is the only one who can transform that into goodness. I think of this man, born blind since birth, who his disciples had probably passed before, if this is a town or village that they frequented, who had seen him, and God saw him in his need. He saw him in his place of great pain. He saw him in his handicap. He saw him in his weakness and vulnerability, and that's where God chose to come in and enter. And so often, I think in churches, we can be told, that we got to make ourselves right and then God will love us. If we just like stop doing this and start doing this, like we present ourselves right, then God will love me and I will be filled. And that's anything but the truth. God loved us while we were still sinners. God loves us in our brokenness and our mess and he wants to take that mess and turn it into something new. Maybe you've heard this before. Our mess in Christ becomes our message and our test in Christ becomes our testimony. God wants to take what is hard in you and make something good out of it. Isaiah 61.3 is a great picture of this. Uh, this, is, this is the scroll that Jesus ends up reading. 
but this is the prophecy of what Jesus is gonna come and fulfill. So this is Isaiah prophesizing, and I think in, in Luke, Jesus comes and reads this. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Where do you need the Lord to turn your mourning into joy? Where do you need him to bring a spirit of despair and replace it with a garment of praise? Where do you need beauty where there feels like only ashes? This is what Jesus does, and only Jesus can do this. The invitation is there for us. What, what ashes do you need to give to the Lord and ask him to bring beauty out of? Because only Jesus can do that, and Jesus is in the business of restoring, transforming, and making all things new. The third thing I see in this passage for us is that our hope is in Jesus. We can be tempted in life to trust I think a lot of other things. If you've looked around our culture lately, it's very shiny. There's a lot of things that look really good and really promising. Um, I've shared this before, but just because it's my struggle, I'll share it again. I am addicted to Pinterest, and I've recently deleted it off my phone because I'm like 2023, new year. Uh, But Pinterest has all these beautiful ideas and suggestions and crafts, and when I scroll through there, the more I scroll through there, the more I start to want the more I start to think, oh, if only, if only my house looked like that. Oh, if only I could afford that product. Oh, if only, if only I could take those kind of vacations. Oh, if only I, I looked like that. The, lo- the world is constantly selling us things that says, if you buy this, oh, you'll be so happy. Oh, just put your hope in this new exercise program. It's everything. Oh, if, if only you fill in the blank. If only I had a husband like that. If only my kids performed like that. If only we had a vacation house like that. If only I drove that car. If only my boss treated me like that. If only I made this much, right? The world is constantly spinning false stories of what hope is. And why we study the Bible is to come back to the truth that our hope is only in Jesus. At the end of the day, Jesus is the only one who can cleanse us from our sins, who can give us new life, who can take a broken heart and make it whole again, who can reconcile relationships we never thought would be possible to reconcile. Only the power of God has the power to actually heal, transform, and change us. There's a beautiful verse in Psalm 146, five through eight. It says, blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. This is our hope, is that we are all enslaved or in bondage to something. And only Jesus can set us free. When we make idols, when we make other things our hope, we get ensnared to them and we start to live for them and then we start to serve them and then we start to be punished by them. And God says, no, 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 come to me for your hope. I will set you free. 
I will open your eyes to the truth and you will live in righteousness. God offers true hope. I don't know where you are and I don't know your story and I don't know what your 2023 goals are, but I do know that there is a deep desire in every single human heart for real hope. Hope that sustains, hope that lasts, hope that endures. That hope is in Jesus Christ. So if you don't know it, you can know it today that Jesus is the hope of the world, that he's the only one that can make us new. And the last thing I see in this that I love is just the truth that we're saved by grace and not our own doing. I think this story just exemplifies this so well. Here's this man, he's blind. He's just sitting on the side of the road. He's not doing anything, he's begging. He's not trying to earn God's favor. He's not trying to be enough. He's not trying to cover up. He's simply sitting there and the grace of the Lord extends to him and says, I wanna heal you. I love you, I'm coming after you. I wanna make your life different. God's grace is what saves us at the end of the day. Ephesians 2, eight through nine says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You see, the Pharisees thought that they could earn God's favor by following the law. And because of that, they became prideful and they became hard-hearted and they lost touch of God. In essence, they became blind in their pride, thinking that they could do it on their own. And here Jesus shows up, heals somebody in their midst, and they're so prideful at this point that they miss it. They become blind to what Jesus is doing among them, who Jesus is. Jesus says it's by grace, it's a gift. I give you myself in exchange for yourself. I take your sins and instead I give you love and forgiveness back. It's an exchange and it's not an even exchange. We come up on the better end of this, but it's not based on what we do. It's not based on how hard we work. It's not, Coley, I came to every Bible study session for the last 10 years, I've earned God's love. No, 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 that's not how it works in, in God's economy and kingdom. God says, I loved you, from the second you were born. I've pursued you every single day of your life. And for you to receive me, all you need to do is believe in me, is to invite me in. The blind man came back to Jesus and Jesus says, do you wanna believe? And he said, yes, tell me so that I believe. Do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, that he's actually enough to forgive you and to make your life new. That's the invitation, that's a choice that's laid out to all of us and it's a choice of grace. It's not based on efforts, it's not based on works, it's based simply on grace. And so in a second, I'm gonna invite Amy up here. Uh, I am asked Amy to sing with us so you can hear the lyrics too. We're gonna sing Amazing Grace. And what I want, I want you to do is I want you to take this time to invite the grace of the Father to wash over you again. Some of us have sung this song our whole lives, but I want you to make it, to make it real for you today. What does it mean for you, that amazing grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found. So we're gonna sing this song, and then I'm gonna close this out in prayer, and then you're on your way to your groups. Thanks, Amy.
pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing grace, Father. And today, God, we pray that we would walk in the light, Father. For those of you that don't know Jesus Christ yet, he offers you the opportunity to no longer live in darkness. He says, I am the light of the world. All those who believe in me will be saved. And so if you've never believed in Jesus and you want to receive him, I'll pray a prayer. You can pray along with me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner and I'm in need of a God. I'm in need of you, Father. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins that he rose again, conquering death. And I believe, I believe that he's my savior. And so I invite him to live in me today, to bring light into my darkness, to give me a new hope and a new beginning. Jesus, will you be my savior and my Lord? I repent of the life I used to live. I walk a different way now in the light of truth. And for those of us who have, who have walked with Jesus, would you invite him right now to show you if there's any area of darkness that's holding you back, that's hurting you, that's causing you to stumble, that's causing you to stray. Jesus, we pray that you'd shine your perfect love light into that darkness, Lord. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So Lord, would you, would you make your light known to us, Father? Would you expel the darkness? God, we thank you for your grace this unmerited favor, God, towards us, that you would love us so much, even though we've loved ourselves and other things above you, Lord. Thank you. We receive you through faith, God. Thank you for your grace that extends to us, Lord. So God, I just pray a blessing over every woman that's here today, no matter where she is in her journey with you, God. Would you open the eyes of her heart, Lord? Would she see you afresh, and anew for who you really are. Maybe not the way she was taught about you growing up, or maybe, maybe there's been rumors about you going around, like the Pharisees who wanted to kick you out of the synagogue, Lord. Would you show us who you really are? And God, we know that your love, your unconditional love and your unconditional forgiveness, Father, to those who follow you and believe in you. So Father, I pray a blessing over each woman that's here today. Would the light of Jesus fill her life and would that light go out into the world, Lord, to be a light and testimony to those who are in darkness. Lord, open the eyes of the blind that we may see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.